welcome back. This is Colby Herschel. And Carly Sheehan-Drum. And this is our very second battle episode. And this week we're talking about um, a movie that is near and dear to Carly's heart. Yeah. We are talking about Pixar's Brave. Now, we, we talked about our first Pixar movie, Ratatouille, only just a few weeks ago, I think, for... Um, for my birthday. For Carly's birthday. And um, now, I, I think we've had a, a couple of debates on this movie over the years, and... I think it's it's a good time to really kind of lay it all out there and figure out what really makes Brave good or not so good. And we'd love for all of you listeners out there to voice your opinion as well at the end of the episode. So, before we, uh, let's just get right to it. Well, I, I, I'll be honest that I didn't realize Brave had such a split audience. Um, we actually, when it first came out, you and I and a group of close friends went to the midnight premiere of it despite all odds and despite the fact the theater was largely empty um and i mean i was enchanted by it and i think that because it was one of those midnight premieres you and i didn't really talk about it much because we just went home and went to bed but i didn't think that it got bad reviews and it turns out it's gotten a lot of bad reviews a lot of people are really unhappy with the way that this movie was handled and one of the biggest critiques i hear is that it's a standard Disney movie, but a bad Pixar movie. And I think that was the roughest thing on it. I think it really did come at a, a time. I think this was the follow-up to Up. Or Toy Story 3. It was 2012. It was the, the follow-up to Toy Story 3. So they were at their basic apex. And Brave really was the one that to kind of get them in the, in the slump that I, sti I still think they're kind of churning in. You know? This was kind of part of that downward slope. Um, but... I, I think that I do agree that, and I think we'll, we'll kind of make this apparent by the end of the episode, I do think people are unjustifiably harsh against this movie, yeah. but I still think it was kind of a lackluster effort from the studio. Um, so let, let's just go right into it then. Let's talk first and foremost about um, the characters. Let's, let's talk about particularly about the characters of the mother and the daughter, I yep. think. So... Um, for any of you who haven't seen Brave yet, we typically spend, given that this is our second, we're finally figuring out a format, but battle episodes typically consist of more in-depth looks at things. So there's very much spoilers. If you haven't seen the movie, um, we do recommend that you watch it first, but um, we won't be doing much plot review in this. So if there's any questions, I recommend you watch the movie. But yeah, so we're talking about Merida and her mother, Eleanor. So, um... My general thoughts on this are, I think that they really did a good job to kind of point out the flaws in their relationship and their differences, but I think that once we kind of introduce the plot of the bear, I feel like the, the development and the characters that I really did start to kind of care about and who they are and how they're kind of built up to be are kind of shafted for this kind of adventure. It's and, and I like to say it's Freaky Friday with bears. Um, I think that once we kind of hit that middle point of the movie, you're 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 not really seeing much development between them, other than when the plot calls for things to be resolved. There are never any points when you you can see kind of the bear be like, oh, you know what. Merida really does have a point in being her wild and crazy self, you know. I, I think there's just too much humor in like, this is hard for me because I'm a prissy queen and it's and it's kind of crazy for me to do this fishing stuff. Um, and vice versa, I don't think there are really any points when Merida truly has kind of like learned that, oh, I should have been I should have been more attentive to what my mother was saying about keeping the kingdom together. other There really isn't a turning point other than the moment when she's like, oh, I need to kind of keep the kingdom together to have my mother escape up the stairs in order to save her. It's kind of all of these moments are happening as they come, and these, um, these internal flaws that are introduced at the beginning in both characters are just kind of solved because it's time for them to be solved. And I think there are moments that hint at these kind of character motion, um, but they're really subdued and they're very much kind of placed, I think, just because a story editor came in there 
and really tried to kind of fine-tune that. And I think this is this is one of the reasons why I particularly may have had a different viewpoint on the way that the film progressed, because obviously I am a girl, and I have a mother, and I have lived the life of being a teenage girl growing up with a mother that you disagree with, and the film opens with Merida being... I mean, very much the biggest complaint that anyone ever has about her. She's a fiery, rebellious, I don't want to be a princess princess. And her mother is very much a focused on the path ahead, conscious of the responsibilities that are on her as a queen to raise a princess kind of thing. Um, and it's funny because they're differing opinions I don't, I don't really see. It's just a matter of, like disagreement i suppose like the the opening what we see them as characters in the opening is that merida just doesn't understand why it's so important to her mother that she be these things and obviously eleanor doesn't understand why merida is so dead set on not listening but to that degree they do still have a level of like compromise because merida still participates in her classes and still does learn and still has some semblance of proper manners and protocol and and things like that so their opening isn't like it's this huge rift between them it's just a, you know they're they just you know don't necessarily agree 100 percent. and the catalyst is when merida's ready to be married and what causes the rift is the fact that now suddenly the things that were theoretical in merida's life the things that she's been preparing for this entire time and what her mother has been planning for are suddenly no longer theoretical. They're they're very much in the present. And I think it, it obviously scares Merida. And her mother doesn't understand why it scares her, because they've been spending all this time preparing for it. So even in that regard, like the way that their relationship opens, it's not a matter of different opinions, it's just a matter of perspective. They just don't understand why the other... It's not that they are just mad at each other and disagree, it's just that they don't understand what the other one is seeing. And when they split off, and obviously one of, you know, the big issues is the way that Merida handles it is that she wants to change her mother, um, which is a very childish remedy to come to it. Merida doesn't blame herself at all for what happened. She blames the way that her mother sees things. So to her, the solution is to change her mother. Um, and her mother obviously doesn't think anything's really wrong because they've been preparing for this their entire lives. But when they finally become a bear, that perspective obviously shifts because now the queen has no plan there's nowhere for her to go she has no sort sense of reference there's nothing for her to do except follow merida who also for all intents and purposes has no idea what she's doing and you bring up the fishing scene where they're like in the lake together and it's true that eleanor probably would have no like yes it's a funny scene where they like bond together but they bond because eleanor lets her guard down enough to let Merida kind of do what she just enjoys. Something that was never taught to her and that was never relevant to her experience as a princess, but in this point is it holds a lot of value. And, I mean, Eleanor doesn't learn to fish. She just fishes with Merida. It's not like she suddenly attains a skill set that changes the way that she acts. She's still a queen. She would never go back outside and fish. But she sp takes the time to allow herself to do it with Merida both because she has to, and also because she's finally starting to understand why Merida kind of does it in the first place. And then later on, you point out that the only time Merida really owns up to, like, what her mother had taught her is at the very end when she gives the speech. And I hold that that's got a lot more value to it than just it's a cover for her to sneak her mom out. Because they know that, like, that's the only solution, is that Merida has to distract everybody so that her mother can get upstairs. But the way that Merida approaches it, in the beginning half of the speech anyway, is entirely on her own. And it's definitely not pristine, and it's definitely not the way the Queen would write it. But she manages to command attention with the same dignity her mother does, only because she's learned from her mother. So that scene is kind of the encompassing moment of, like, Merida now has responsibility because she has to protect her mother and now has to put into practice everything she's kind of had but never needed to use, and she understands what its purpose is now because she knows what it's for. She knows how it's going to help control a crowd. Now, it does kind of fall apart when her mother coaches her a bit towards the end there, 
but I think the important part of it is that Merida has the comp has the strength to use the tools she's been given, and finally it has the perspective needed to use them. And so the only reason that I give um, I, I'm a little wary of particularly that scene is because the inciting incident all along has been Merida, as you said, does not want to get married, but um, there was nowhere in the chunk when she has been spending time with her mother that she's kind of made a knowing transition to be to um to changing her mind because at that point she does sacrifice all of the things she loves to do and i and i do give you that like she it by having to be responsible for her mother she does learn responsibility um but it seems like a um a very different extreme to go to well, I at don't, that point. I don't think it's about I don't think it's about getting married. I think the inciting incident is the fact that she's now faced with betrothal and has to be married, but it stops being about getting married as soon as she wins her hand and runs off. Because what it's about now is the principle of her responsibility. And as she takes care of her mother and carries her through the woods she understands the weight of responsibility. Getting married is just a subcategory of her role as princess and eventually queen. And she's never had that power in a way. I, I keep saying responsibility, but that's really what it is. When she's, when she's solely responsible for causing the problem with her mother and then having to fix it on her own, that weight forces her to kind of mature. And I think that that shows as they kind of traverse through the woods because i mean initially her response is just to blame the witch but as it progresses she steadily takes it onto herself and then begins problem solving of her own like what she can do for it getting them back to the castle things like that like her initial response is just to go blame the witch and then when they're in the cottage it's only when they destroy it that they have to come up with new options but i i don't think that it's about getting married i think it's about just the general weight of being a princess and as she moves away from that inciting incident of getting betrothed she steadily learns like what else is involved with this role and that's why i think it's so easy for her to stand up in front of the crowd and say that she's made a choice because her choice really doesn't matter it's just the fact that she needs to make one um i and and i think that that is a i think that is a lovely kind of that that is a lovely story and i agree with you that that story is there but i do think that the movie really does put a lot of emphasis on the marriage situation and really doesn't um really doesn't show her maturity as uh kind of important until for some reason she has really kind of already matured um i think that they very much play up the marriage aspect and I think that is related to a deeply set flaw that I think I am in agreement with a lot of those um, angry reviewers about is that much of the first I'd say nearly 40 minutes of the movie is devoted to um, pointing out that Merida is that trope and that trope is the sense that she's not any ordinary Disney princess she's good with a bow and arrow which, and, and this is a nitpick, but the bow and arrow only kind of comes in handy in the, in the very last scene where she fires an arrow at, like, her father's sword. But I think that's kind of... That's very nitpicky, because she uses her bow and arrow constantly. She, it saves, it, she uses it to fight. I, there's a lot of examples of her using the bow throughout the entirety of the film. I, and I think that that's... I, but it, it really doesn't matter plot-wise, except for... The, the bow and arrow scene, which she could have chosen any kind of thing. It's kind of, it really that's, does that's, become, it, it has become kind of, yeah. a, the, the, the bow itself really doesn't represent much of the plot. And there is a lot of emphasis devoted to that, bow, that she's good at using the bow and arrow at the very beginning. And once the actual issues of the movie begin, it really doesn't come into play that much other than being kind of a, a, a Dungeons and Dragons personality trait. I think there's a lot. There's a lot there. So first of all, I I still argue that I don't think the marriage is as it's not once once it happens in the opening sequence. Once it happens in the beginning of the movie, 
it never is brought up again until the end. I mean, to be fair, the three kingdoms are still arguing with each other as Merida exits about who is going to get chosen. But Merida is completely separate from that. And her mother never, they never bring it up. I mean, obviously her mother's a bear, so it's not like they're going to have the conversation. But her mother never brings up that she needs to pick a suitor. Uh, Merida never mentions having to make the choice while they're throughout the woods. Like, once they leave the kingdom, it's, it's out of the plot. Merida doesn't constantly struggle with, like, what boy am I going to choose? The, the concept of the marriage is a very minimal part of what I think causes the problem. Which is which I think is, is the underlying issue because it is such a big issue in the first half. And I think, I think that it's true of a Disney film that like they used marriage as a convenient plot point, which is very typical of like a princess story. Like the princess doesn't want to get married. We get it. And that's fair. It is a very kind of cliche setup. But the way that the movie intentionally frames it and admittedly this is this is easy detailing to miss if you're not paying attention to it but um it's a new kingdom this is the first time that they've had to make this kind of a decision because merida's father is the first king of this joint kingdom so this is the first time that they've had to even come to this conclusion that they've had to like marry off a princess and the tradition is is not well set and it's not you know, really defined yet. It's just, this is what they think they need to do. So even marriage to their, like, you know, society is kind of a weird, like, it's not really that important yet. So I think that it's it's justifiable only in that it's important, but, like, even the marriage part of the games isn't the entirety of the games. There's lots of other stuff happening in this kingdom, in this even in this one tiny subset of their culture there's a lot more happening than just the contest to win her hand so i i don't think that compared to and i I can't even really think of another disney movie that has like i mean like a really heavy like i don't want to marry the prince i guess maybe Aladdin. aladdin but like even then she's not really confronted with like the i'm trying to i'm trying to think of like what in that i haven't watched aladdin in a while so it's not gonna be easy <laughs> Um, but it's, it's kind of the same thing. Like, even in Aladdin, yes, it's a, it's a crummy thing that she has to get married for her kingdom, but, like, it's never really directly in her way. Once it kind of gets brought up, she's, like, she separates herself from it pretty quickly. And obviously, I'm not talking about Aladdin. I can't really make a really formed opinion about it. I haven't seen it in a very long time. Yeah. (laughs) But I, I mean it in that, like, the Disney trope is literally just if a princess is confronted with marriage and she doesn't want it. And I think that's fair, and given the the historical context of when most of these stories take place, it's a fair inciting incident. It would be a big conflict in a young girl's life. Oh, it would be. In this movie, it's a conflict that's purely meant to spurn a conversation between a mother and a daughter, which is what I think ultimately the movie does well, is is it really accurately frames a relationship with people two people who neither one is wrong but just have very different perspectives and need to understand what the other person is seeing before they can like really make a choice i agree i think i think that the uh the relationship between merida and eleanor are is is definitely what they were trying to highlight um i think that though that using this device in the end simply because it was Truly, they used it as a setup, but they spent a lot of time talking about this setup. That when the second half really just kind of writes it off, it it feels kind of sloppy in that sense. And this film was was uh, directed by someone else before she dropped out of the project. Brenda Chapman, who helped yeah. write uh, *Prince of Egypt*, um, and then they brought in another director. And you can really kind of feel the ramifications. You can really feel the heartbeat that she definitely was looking for. But you can feel like the second round of just trying to shape it all up into kind of a three-act structure. And it really does suffer under that. Because I do think the heart is there. I agree with you. But um, just kind of the, uh, the sloppy handling of transitioning from the first half to the second half really does kind of leave you jilted jilted rather is a better word i i think that 
I mean, and I, I'll be I'll be completely honest. I agree with you 100% that the last act feels a little, like, rushed. It, mm. it doesn't... It's a little bit too much of a perfect happy ending to really make you feel good about, like, anything that happened. There's no consequence for anybody's actions. Nothing bad happened to anyone. And given the weight of the decisions that were made, it feels like there should be a little bit more of an impression left. Um, so I definitely agree with you on the third act. But I... I they really don't spend that much time on it in the beginning, beyond the fact that they have dinner. Her mother says, like, oh, we found suitors. We're going to have a competition. And then the games open. And then Merida leaves. I mean, of the first act, we get a whole... There's the introductory scene where we see Merida as a young girl. There's her life at the castle, learning her routines from her mother, kind of introducing us to the way that her brothers and her father are, the story of how her father lost his leg. And then it kind of rolls into the games and the games for their kind of culture and then the fact that she is now betrothed and all that stuff. I'm not saying that it's not important, but I don't think that they spend nearly as much time on it as you're arguing. Mm. No. I, um, I, I, I do think they do... It Maybe that's just from the lens of someone coming into a movie about something like this. Yeah. Um, and maybe, maybe that was their intention to play with that expectation, but I, I do, I, I still do feel that they do kind of, as the inciting incident to, yes, the argument is the, 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 the different perspectives they have is the crux of what they're trying to tell. I completely yeah. agree with that. But I do think they spend, um, I guess, a little bit more time um, with this inciting incident um, and having it not quite fulfilled at the end really in, in, in a in a fulfilled way is um is kind of something that that does that does leave you jarred yeah and I, I agree with you that it feels like and I mean I I could make the argument that because they make a point to establish that their like history is young and it's the it's the first time that they've had to do anything like this so it's not really a big deal that they don't do it the quote-unquote right way it does feel a little dissatisfying that, like, Merida can just say, I decide on nothing, and the reason I ran away doesn't matter. Like, and, and as I like to say, like, don't consider the geopolitical ramifications, but they are there. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's, it's a little bit, a little bit too quick, and I, I, fault, I fault the third act more than anything. Because I think, and I, I think that it's not the strongest in any sense, like, I, that's not my favorite part of the movie, but I think... The, f the first and second, I mean, really, the yeah, largely three-fourths of the film, I think, do a very good job balancing that. And it, it kind of rolls into what you were saying about her being a princess trope mm. and, and the whole strength thing and her using her bow and all that stuff. And despite the fact that Merida is portrayed as, like, and what the trailers, unfortunately, did a very good job portraying her as is, like, a tomboy... Like, the classic, like, I don't want to be a princess. She fulfills her role very well. That was not a Scottish accent. I, pr <laughs> I promise I was I'll not. I'll be shooting for my own hand. I promise I wasn't trying to do a Scottish accent. I would never. I know myself too well. <laughs> um, but she's not portrayed as, like, it's not like Jasmine, who wears, like, dark capes and, like, sneaks through alleyways just so people don't know she's a princess. Merida very graciously goes, I mean, uh, graciously, I say that with a grain of salt. She's still a young girl, so, like, there's a little bit of sass there. But she goes through her daily lessons. She still wears her clothes. She wears princess gowns without complaint. She wears them while she's riding, while she's shooting her arrows, all that stuff. And she still respects the role that she has as, like, an edu- Like, she's being educated. And it, there's no, like, gripe from her about, like... She doesn't like going to class, but she doesn't, um, like, intentionally shirk it to, like, be out in the woods hunting rabbits. Like, she, she has a balance of being a princess and still being kind of allowed to do her own thing. And her father, I think, is an important thing to remember because her dad at one point actually says something along, along the lines of fighting is essential. She has to know how to do it. Despite the fact that his wife, Ellen, Merida's mother argues that she should not have weapons at all and all that stuff. So I think while it's true that she's definitely tomboyish, I, it's a good balance of 
I mean, it's fitting to the world that she lives in. She's not that different from, like, other girls in this culture. She's just the only princess. But she's still raised just as any other, I don't want to say Viking, but, like, aggressive Scottish warrior. Celtic. Yeah. <laughs> like, she's got the same training that her father has and that all of her brothers will have. And it, it's, it's not really that out of place in this universe. And that brings me, I do want to talk about other themes besides this, and I, and I realize the, uh, the rabbit hole that this theme is, um, so I, I will try to be brief, because um, I do want to talk about, a little bit more about uh, some of the other ideas that this movie brings up. Um, they, they, they kind of talk a lot about gender in kind of a subtextual way. Yeah. I think I credit this movie largely because it did have the gall to kind of advertise for it being like your typical adventure, but really making it about the relationship between a mother and daughter, which is not really brought to cinemas all that often, especially now. They, that's never a tentpole movie. Yeah, it's no. never on the crux of a relationship like that. And I say power to Pixar for making their first Disney, or not Disney, but female protagonist be uh, a movie about a relationship essentially between two female protagonists, which yeah, ended up being hyper-crazy successful with Frozen. Um, but I will say that they elected to kind of kind of go into a weird route where the two, I'd say the two women that are represented are very layered. Um, but, I mean, all of the other female characters are almost non-existence. Or, what's the name of that um, maid? Oh, Maudie? Maudie. Maudie with her huge boobs. She, yes, she is kind of represented as this woman afraid of her own shadow and yeah. kind of falls into that trope. She's and then like on the other man. end of the, the spectrum, all of the men are portrayed as these kind of stupid, farting individuals. And not saying that men do not have that coming to them because of how we've treated female characters in our movies. Um, but um, I will say that... Um, it kind of, there are a lot of jokes about like, oh, those men, they just want to fight and, and tussle and they're just kind of gross. And even the little brothers, they, they don't speak. They just do their little vaudeville cartoon act of, and of yeah. troublemaking. Yeah. And so if this movie really is trying to say something about gender, and I think it is successful in many instances in kind of showing a, a girl who is kind of more free-spirited than a woman who is reserved and responsible and showing how they are kind of on the same team, that's kind of the major crux of the movie, um, it does kind of an injustice to all of its other characters in that way. There, there, are, no, there are no thinking gentlemen in this movie. No, and, and I think that that's a, fair, that's a fair point to make. The, the way that, I mean, the, the balance of the cast is three speaking women to, right off the top of my head, at least five speaking male parts. Yes. And, like, that, I mean, I mean, right out of the gate, that's a comment right there. Even though the film is largely about two women, they're still largely over, over outnumbered by the amount of men who are relevant to plot kind yeah. of thing. But it it's tough because the men aren't important to this story. The one who is, being the king, is shown to be very much... A, a capable, loving, patient, caring individual who also has the co the capacity to be a killer and to be a protective king and, and to make conscious decisions about his kingdom. Now, admittedly, he is definitely shown to be the brawn where Eleanor is the brains. Yeah. But he definitely has moments where, like, he's a he's a conscious parent. He makes decisions without Eleanor and, and is able to kind of direct things in his own household at least and i think it's important to note that he is really the only man who interacts with eleanor and merida in any way that matters with the exception of the brothers which they don't have speaking roles and they're young so like they don't really count but the other men are are yes very much character car caricaturized mm. and that's not like super nice but also they don't really matter so I'm willing to give Disney a pass on it because they, they don't. There's no reason for us to spend time getting to know them. Kind yeah. Of thing, and for the fact that all of the men are portrayed as like aggressive and like 
they drink and eat and like throw weapons. They are also shown to be very respectful. To the point though that no, they are very respectful of the I will I will agree with you there of when whenever Merida and Eleanor speak, they are like, Oh, I, we we really need to get it together right now. Yeah, they um, they recognize her role as a leader and are very quick to like remind themselves of their their place as an audience, if nothing else. Though, um, and this kind of gets into one of the larger themes, though um, I do agree that uh, the, the father really does have multiple scenes where he is an active listener yeah. and very good in that sense. There is, there's never a choice or a thought made by any of the characters that, oh, we've turned our mother into a bear, but we can't tell dad that because he hates bears. And we'll get into that we'll get into that more yeah. about there there is a very good reason why he hates bears. Yeah. But they never treat and they Merida never treats him with enough kind of understanding to say, "Hey, look. Mom's been turned into a bear. Now's not the time to send all of these people after her." Yeah. And that's not a blame on him. He thinks there is a live bear in his castle. Yeah, no, and that's... So he's kind of portrayed as a pseudo-villain in the third act because he's chasing after, kind of a Gaston. Yeah. Uh, because yeah. he's chasing after, and at that point, it's a little too late for Merida to be like, hey, that's that's mom, because he's like, what are, what are you saying? This has been a problem for days. Yeah. Like... <laughs> the, the argument there is that... Merida's father is known as the Bear King, and he earned his place as king of this kingdom by fighting a mythical bear named Mordu, who, in the process, took the king's leg. So, like, Merida's father, and the reason she's a princess at all, is because he... Uh, I didn't murder a god bear, but, like, got in a really good fight with one, and the kingdom took that as a sign of, like, oh, he's a good leader. And the that reason... That is never... Uh, and, and, like, you is. say that. It, it has is. never been... It's, it's said... But it is never clear. Yeah, I. It's uh, that prologue I, where he fights the bear. Well, no, Merida says it to her mother when she's a bear, because the reason that they don't tell him out of the gate is because he. I mean, I. I think that part of it is yes, like we can't trust him to not murder you because you're a bear. But I think it's also it could be argued that he is currently hosting the three kingdoms that essentially elected him king. And if they see him, like, being kind to a bear that looks very familiar to the god bear that he fought with originally, it could call into question his, like, willingness to rule. Because it's made a point in the beginning of the film that her father also doesn't believe in magic. So we're kind of led to believe that it's probably a true thing of, like, most of these gruff men is, like, they don't believe in magic. So they wouldn't believe if you were, like, mom got turned into a bear. Yeah. No, and I, and I, I think that... There is sort of that precedent set. I, I, I don't think it's in, in incredibly clear, but I think there is that precedent. I think you're right. But what it does for the audience is it kind of leaves us in one of these, oh no, I, I can see this misunderstanding coming at me at the climax from a mile away. Yeah. And you're like, oh no, he's chasing after his wife. The irony. And you're like, I wish. Like, like it's, it's, kinda, it's painful. Those moments are truly painful. For an audience who just is like, I wish reason were involved with these characters in that sense. And I think it's more justifiable in the beginning because they do give you all of the puzzle pieces to put the answer together as to why they wouldn't tell him when it first happens. Especially considering Merida, Merida believes she can fix it pretty much immediately. They just have to go back to the witch. And when that proves wrong, it spirals out of her control yeah. and she has to own to the fact she didn't tell her dad. I think that it's definitely true in the last act when like Merida's in front of her dad is just like this is my mother I won't let you kill my mother and he's like what are you talking about it's a bear like that could have been a little bit clearer Merida you could have come yeah. through and said like this is my fault I turned her into a bear not just that's my mother so I, I think that it's true in the in the climax when you're like okay nope this is the time to like just be honest about it but I think in the beginning and the reason that the movie starts really is justifiable there's enough reasoning and, and lore put in place for you to kind of understand why it's not a simple conversation of like i turned mom into a bear on accident 
and and that kind of leads very nicely and tidily into uh, my my greater question, which is uh, why bears? And and I think that they establish in the movie. I think well, first off, I think that prologue really is unnecessary. I think that's just to kind of show you a cute baby Merida. I think all of that could have been explained in very quickly through subtext at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Um, like oh, like like he lost his leg because like I lost my leg because of a beer or something like that. And um, they really do make it a very big thing that it's bears because the witch can only turn people into bears, and that relates back to Mordu, who is. They talk a lot about in the movie, and he kind of forms a nice kind of, I guess, larger villain and nice example for Merida to learn how to patch up family and understand the bond between that. But um, they make Mordu such an important villain that when he's kind of really not that important except for a character to kind of run away from, and in the end, they just kind of kill him. And, and then he just kind of rises. He's like, ah... I'm free from my soul's free. Um, it really, and and the mom turns into a bear, true, and it's due to something to do with this witch, but really the fact that it's a bear's really has no, no credence to the story other than I guess bears are part of the Scottish culture in that way. And, um, and B, it kind of forms a nice, plot to be like oh I, I can't talk to my mother as clearly right now and she can't do what she would normally do because she's a bear but that whole sub lore with Mordu and his family mm -hmm. really it it I can see why it would make sense but they never really connect the dots I don't think they ne the film never really makes a cognizant effort to lay it all down there and be like this is important because of blank they're just like I guess it's a it, like it. The same thing happened to this bear, so she has to fix her mom. But we already knew that. It doesn't really give extra incentive, if that makes sense. It, it's so. The first thing I want to say is the the prologue. I think is less, and I, I mentioned this to you when we were watching it. And this is something that the movie is also really heavily critiqued for: is like how it uses magic and these little creatures called the Will of the Wisps. And I argue that the prologue is less about introducing us to Merida and more about showing us the what the concept of fate really is. In the prologue, Merida f is a little baby and follows these will of the wisps into the woods, and then is ran then like runs back to her her parents. And then as soon as she returns to her mother's arms, Mordu attacks the camp, and then that is when her father fights Mordu and loses his leg. And then we can assume from what they tell us later, becomes elected the Bear King. So my argument in the prologue is that it's more of a frame story to show us, like, the Will of the Wisps. It wasn't Merida's fate, it was Merida being led, which helped spur her father's fate, and then that set the tone of the kingdom. So, like, that's kind of the incident that made this whole thing even happen in the first place. I agree that it's, like, to the average viewer, it's just a baby for a few minutes. Yeah. Like, it's a cute story, but it's not really important. But I think that once you take it out of that immediate, like, front value and look at it more in the perspective of, like, why were the Will of the Wisps there in the first place? I think it means more for, like, mm. the later understanding of fate and what the Will of the Wisps mean. Mordu and, like, the whole bear thing, I, my only thought is, like, in this case, where the movie is very much talking about magic, and it's meant to be this kind of, you know, it's, it's a magical, it's a mythical thing. In keeping with Celtic tradition, there's not really a whole lot of, like, and I, I, I'm by no means an expert in Celtic tradition, so please don't take this, take this with a grain of salt. But there's not really a whole lot of mythology. It's not like they're... In, in this film, they have to... For the sake of what the movie ends up being, they have to turn her into something. <laughs> they need some kind of alternative enemy that's not a human being. And the only creature in this landscape that could be dangerous is gonna be, like, a wolf. Or, like, a bear. Yeah. And I think that for the landscape that we're set in and the context and the, the characters and all that stuff, I think... Bears are just a nice aesthetic choice. I don't know if they hold any deeper meaning in Celtic lore. I don't know if they really matter. But I think the reason they were chosen is because we needed something that 
was non-human to one set up this barrier because their pers Merida and Eleanor's perspectives don't match and talking won't fix it they need to like experience it and it does fall into that freaky friday category of like walk a mile in each other's shoes yeah. and you'll see and i mean that's true that's a good way to solve the perspective problem is to learn how the other person is seeing it so taking away the communication uh, you know barrier i think is important so they needed to turn her into something and they also needed to separate her from the kingdom. So I think it works in that regard. I think they could have made other choices, but I like the bears. <laughs> I, th I think they're a really beautiful addition to like the backdrop. I think they fit the, the scenery and the way that they designed the movie really well. Um, um, I, think, I think the closing argument we should talk about a little bit is um, I think the probably... I, I feel like I could go on. I, I'm not a big fan of the musical choices the movie makes. I think the scoring no, generally is pretty. And we're we're pretty much in agreement on that. They they plug in a few really unnecessary songs that I wish weren't there. A good example is when they're fishing. Oh my gosh, yeah. We I, I no, I totally the the scoring is beautiful, but like any sung words I could really do without. Other than that lullaby. The lullaby is sweet. No, that's but it never comes up again. I wish they tied that in the whole movie. Yeah, like instead of giving me these weird like clip art style songs i wish you had just always used the lullaby because the lullaby is beautiful like what if what if merida sang that lullaby at like some point when she was scared at the beginning to like make herself like less scared and then it's revealed that her mother gave that to her like i <laughs> there, that, let's not rewrite the movie obviously but but. that is a good example of a place where that could have been stronger is that i mean they gave us this beautiful thread that like connected merida and her mother at like a core level and they dropped it to us in the middle of the second act and then took it away and never gave it back to us. So I, I agree with you there that the, the music is not, it's not strong. <laughs> um, but I do want to talk about the overarching theme of fate. What, what, the, what is really the will of the will of the wisps? And, um, and why this movie is really called Brave. Yeah. Um, because I think that, and, and as you brought up in the prologue, I think that's exactly what they were intending with the fates, with the Will of the Wisps coming up for the girl. But like, it's a very, it's a very roundabout way of kind of achieving that. And in the in the future, when she follows them to the witch's house, are are the Will of the Wisps' uh, intention to be like, oh, we're gonna make her really close with her mom now? Like, there are really yeah. no big, there, like, there are not. As high of stakes, I guess, as like you would expect with what the with how they're talking about the fate and treating the fate, and maybe that's an inversion or some sort of subversion, but um, they are present at all of the major plot points in the movie. Yeah, and if that's their will, then they're really are they trying to break up marriage betrothals in the kingdom? Yeah. Are they? The, the problem I have with the way that Brave treated, and, and to be, this is a part of the movie that I really, I don't think I'll be able to defend very well, because I don't, I'm not happy with the choices that they made. Um, the first thing is that it, it feels a lot like Brave confused the definition, tentative definition, of fate and of destiny. Yes, you're right. Because yeah. fate is predetermined. Fate is something that you have no control over and that happens. And destiny is something that you like actively pursue and that you can control and that you at least in some way. And it's it's made clear that the will of the wisps are like fate. Yeah. <laughs> Your fate. Fate. <laughs> but like they're not really cuz I mean it's fate is a very complicated big story that everybody has a different definition for and brave couldn't like decide on what they wanted their version of it to be yes so they never like directly addressed it at all and because of that the will of the wisps just feel it just feels additional like you could tell the entire movie without the concept of like fate in that way and the movie probably would have been fine. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that if, if you were just going to focus on the, the mother-daughter relationship, like, you're set. You don't need to make any comment on destiny and fate. Yeah, and, and if you're going to make that kind of a comment, know what you're saying. 
because I couldn't tell you the thesis of this film's approach to destiny and fate if I'd had to. Like, I, I truthfully just think that it was made to be a convenient, just like, like directional needle to just kind of push us in one way. And then that, I mean, there's two monologues that Merida gives that are like, fate could be this or this and this, and sometimes it's like this, but other times it's like this. And you're like, okay, well, all yeah. of those things are different, so they... <laughs> It's, it's totally, it means nothing. At the end, I think this was intended to be the kind of denouement of that whole kind of, like, fate plot line. She says, like, fate is, like, it's not always just about you. It's, it's about, like, sometimes it's about multiple people. And it's a shot of she and her mother on, like, a cliff looking down. And I'm like, okay. So, so, so it's kind of about that. And then she's like... That's what makes you brave. And, and it's, I'm like, oh, I see. That's it's brave. Brave falls in the same category as tangled and frozen. Yeah, in the naming department of like you just picked a word that was mentioned maybe once or twice and just use that as the title. I don't think they use tangled ever. I don't. Yeah, I. It's not a very tangled plot. No, for the title. No, it it just is for everyone listening. Tangled is not my favorite movie by any means, so... Mm. I think of the trio that kind of became Tangled, Brave, and Frozen. Frozen's the only name that kind of actually kind of works. And I mean, even then it only works because, like, the landscape is frozen. Like, it's not... Uh, you could argue that it's because, like, her heart is The frozen, frozen heart deal, yeah. But, like, that doesn't really mean a whole heck of a lot as a title. It, just in the same way that, like, Brave... I mean, you could have called the movie Bear, for Christ's sake. The, the working title was The Bear and the Bow. Oh, see, and that, to be fair, is still in the same category of, like, you just picked two things. Yes. It doesn't really mean much, but at least then it feels more, like... You know what they are. Like, the bow is Merida and the bear is Eleanor. So, yeah. like, that's the meaning of the movie. Like, I mean, there, uh, we could come up with a list of better titles than Brave because I don't think that Brave is reflective of really even what the story is trying to say. The movie makes no commentary on the concept of bravery until that, like, last line where Merida, like, sneaks it in. And to be fair, she demonstrates bravery a lot in the movie, as does her mother, as does her father. But it's never called out, and it doesn't. And because it's not important in the movie, it shouldn't be important in the title. Exactly, I, titling is very important, and um, I think it just harkens back to kind of the internal flaw. I think the first director was really making something with a heart that was really just kind of more of a Pixar movie about a mother and daughter relationship, which they hadn't done. And I think that the second director, I'd have to look this up, but I think. What happened was they were they were bought they were picked up by Disney to Pixar, and they wanted to make they they were like we're gonna make Merida a Disney princess and we're gonna market this, and it really did become that. And I think it I think there are a lot of people who still maintain at least on internet forums that Merida is their favorite Disney princess, and you can feel kind of the echoes of that throughout the movie. As there, there was just kind of an ironing out of kind of yeah. what made it kind of special. And I, it's disappointing because at what the movie started with, and I guess I'm just kind of realizing this now, what the movie started with is what made me love it so much. It, it is very much the story of different opinions from two women who you think would never get along who see no future in their relationship largely, who through some major inciting incident and learning to have to protect each other, understand the other's perspective, at least in some limited way. And in doing so that it make, they, they fix their relationship. They learn how to you know deal with each other in a way that's healthy and that promotes growth. And as someone who's lived a really similar experience, it's, it's potent and it's powerful to see it illustrated in, in such a beautiful way what the problem with it is is that it, it doesn't commit and own the ending of the story that they set up and it falls apart in the third act because now you've brought up all these great themes of magic and fate and destiny and being brave and 
the story is about a mother and a daughter, and yet they skirt the issue of it being a mother and a daughter the entire time. Exactly. And that's the movie that I love. None of this auxiliary stuff with the magic or fate or any of that. What what matters to me is that mother-daughter relationship that they manage to capture beautifully. They just don't own it. And that's that's where I think it falls apart. So, I, and, and I think it, in, in come, me kind of coming kind of to your side a little, I think the fact that there is a movie, and it, it happens to be this one movie, that can be this movie for you and that you can relate to, I think is, I think this movie for that deserves so much more credit. Because if that's, like, if that's the case, then, man, we've got to have more movies about these kind of relationships and that tell these kinds of stories. So I, I, I think in conclusion, I, I think from our, from our battle, uh, <laughs> I think that, you know, people who didn't like this movie can see a little bit more good in this movie yeah. than they did initially. And I think people who really love this movie kind of can take a knock because, you know, it, yeah. it really is kind of structured in, in a less than efficient way manner it really is that's a good way of putting it there's a lot of roundabout and un. it's just it's kind of over bloated with a lot of extra that yeah. just doesn't need to be there and the important thing is that even though it doesn't by any means be it's not a great movie it tells even through all of that there is still a really solid heart to it and I, in the context of it being part of the trio of of tangled and frozen it's funny to think that this happened and then Tangled happened, right? And then Frozen. And this told a mother-daughter story and Frozen told a mother-sister story. Or a sister-sister story. Sister-sister, oops. <laughs> I knew that. Um, but Tangled told another fairy tale. Yeah. And that kind of disappoints me because you're right that I would like to see more of, of this kind of side of, of storytelling. And in that same note, it's totally separate, but if you're looking for a really good story in that same vein, I highly recommend The Good Dinosaur, <laughs> Pixar's other attempt at this kind of storytelling that also didn't get great reviews, but really deserves it. I think I think we'll have another episode about The Good Dinosaur. We need to talk about The Good real Dinosaur. Real soon. We really do. So, listeners out there, where do you stand? What arguments did we leave out for whichever side you want? Um, let us know your thoughts about our debate and what things you'd like for us to talk about in the future. Thanks so much. This is Colby Herschel and Carly Sheandro signing off.